Escape the ordinary with green and blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. Sponsor of The Moments That Made Me, the weekend podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Hello and welcome to The Moments That Made Me, the podcast that asks people about the key moments, good and bad, personal and professional, that shape their lives. I'm your host, Kira MacDonald, and this week we talked to broadcaster and Irish examiner columnist Alison Curtis about how losing her parents at a young age shaped the adult she would become, and her belief that a strong grounding in love and respect gave her the resilience that shaped her success in life, both personally and professionally. Enjoy. So, Alison Curtis, welcome to the weekend podcast, The Moment That Made Me. We are so glad to have you. Um, of course, we know you so well because you're a columnist with us and you've been a columnist for quite a while, haven't you? I'm coming up to my two year anniversary in May. I'm very excited about that. That is quite a long time in the world of newspaper <laughs> columnists. We are delighted to have you here. And we're here to talk about three kind of seminal moments in your life, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. First of all, how has your week been? Good, yeah. It, no, it's really good. I think, um, as I was saying in my column this week, that, you know, we got Joan, my daughter, back to school, which is excellent because she was third class. So she was kind of one of the, the last ones to kind of go back. And just for her own sake and her own kind of mental well-being, like her excitement was really high and she was really happy. And they need their peers. So it was a good week. It felt really like there was a good turnaround this week both my kids were back to school and it feels kind of like there's some sort of normality creeping back yeah. in doesn't there even though yeah the, the weather as well yeah yes exactly the weather the weather so you sent us your list of of three moments and they're pretty interesting moments shall we start at the beginning yes yes okay <laughs> so your first one is about your beautiful mom Yes. So I was in my first year of university in the University of Toronto. I'd left my hometown of Kingston, which is really small compared to Toronto. Toronto, just to put things into perspective, Toronto's population is like the greater Toronto area is bigger than all of Ireland. So it's a big city. And the one I grew up in, I call it a town, but it was a city as well. And so I just started university and my sister had as well. She'd gone to the opposite end of the province. We went to two different cities. And our mother sadly passed away in January of our first year of university, and we had already lost our father. So we were in completely new environments and then lost a remaining parent. And at the same process, our childhood home, which we had been in since we were one, had just been sold a few months earlier as my mother had been planning to move to something smaller because obviously we had flown the nest. So literally everything that was familiar was removed from from our lives. And I was fortunate enough that year that I ended up in, an, I was in a resident, like um, a campus resident, and I ended up meeting uh that September, a really, really lovely group of friends, many of whom are still my best friends. So I was so fortunate in that I had that support system to return to after my mother's funeral. And my sister, unfortunately, was living in a situation she wasn't as happy in. Um, so I was fortunate in that respect. But it was it was that point. You're 19 years old and your life can go really, I think, in one of two directions. And one direction is not a very happy outcome. And, you know, you can, you know, I know a lot of people in that similar situation would maybe um, go down a substance abuse situation or like their lives completely fall apart 
you hope for most people, even if it's a temporary thing, that they bounce back. But for whatever reason there was in my sister and my life, we found the strength somewhere to actually continue on through it all, even though they were really tough years, and thrive. And I think at some point, she passed away in January, and I actually had to do my exams about three months later, and I did do really well, weirdly, that year. The next year, not as well. But I think I just consciously thought that I have to survive. I have to I have to carry on with my life, even though I'm so young and anything that I knew is familiar. I don't have my sort of network or support system, my home life anymore. I have my twin who obviously my sister I mentioning, we're really close to each other. But I really, I think I just, I had to make a decision at that point in my life to go, what, what do I want to become or what do I want? How do I want my outcome to be? And whether I was conscious of all of that going on at that time, I definitely think I must have seen through the few years of horribleness to kind of a bit more hope at the other end of that side of things. I was thinking about you this morning. Um, I was thinking about the age that you guys were mm. and um, what a vulnerable age it is. And I was thinking what a young age to learn this word resilience, to learn this skill of resilience that is the word of 2021 already, the thing that everyone is telling us that we must cling on to and we must find inside ourselves. And for the two of you to have mustered that at that that really small young age when you're just becoming the beautiful flowers that you're going to be when you grow up yeah I I really admire you first of all for pulling through it and second of all I wonder what you think of when you think of your 19 year old self do you want to give her a big hug do you want to yeah I want to I want to forgive myself for all the kind of little moments of outbursts and like irrational moments that I had during those years because you know they were just Um, you would have had them anyway, but they were exacerbated because literally we were just trying to survive and trying to continue. But I know that a lot of people who have trauma that happen on later, later on in their life or say their teen years or in their 20 years, I really feel that if the foundation when you're younger isn't super strong or there are complications or there are, you know, situations that weren't good for you then, it does have a knock-on effect with how well you can cope later in life with things happening. But because our foundation was so strong, like so, so strong, like our parents loved one another, they loved us, our unit was strong. Our big thing growing up was dad was sick quite often. But I think because they just instilled in us these really amazing morals, this really code of ethics. And they're like, this is really how you should behave. This is how you should conduct yourself. This is, you know, my dad's case, he'd be like, if you're going to do something, give it 150%, like just whatever they mustered in us and instilled in us, I think was the savior of both of us later in life to be able to carry on. Because my sister carried on and um, she finished her degree. We both finished our degree. We didn't take any time out. And we both did it in like four years. She's a social worker. My degree has no relevance on what I'm doing now with my life, so it doesn't matter. Is it anthropology, is it? Anthropology, so nothing to do with what I'm doing now. (laughs) I don't think so. The study of people, you know, it's okay. And then, yeah, and I think that that just, I think that, yeah, like I think it could have gone really badly and there were definitely dark moments and definitely struggles with just day-to-day life. And also... And I've mentioned this in my article before as well, like my mother really didn't um, 
kind of equip, and this isn't a criticism of her, but equip my sister and I with like life skills because she was of that generation where I think she felt, you know, this is my job. Like I'm in the home and I'm caring for these girls. And so then when she did pass away, I was like, um, what do I do now? Like from a laundry point of view, from a cooking point of view. So I really, that in itself has made me kind of think with my own daughter, I know it's a bit morbid, but in, in the respect that I want her to have those skills irregardless of what obviously what happens with us but like so that she's better equipped when she gets older um because we really obviously we we got a shock with that side of things too like we just didn't know how to do stuff so of course you didn't she were only babies really you were yeah. only babies we I mean, should have really known how to well, make a grilled cheese <laughs> I'm afraid that uh, because of all the tiger parenting and and uh, and constantly hugging my children that they won't be able to do anything. I'm trying to, I'm trying to allow them now, <laughs> encouraging know, them I to know. make toast. <laughs> it's a thing. What age were your parents when they passed away, Alison? My dad, and this is at the time when he passed away, I was like, you know, when I was 14, I felt like he seemed kind of old. He was 49. Like oh. that's nothing and he had been ill for a long time beforehand so he really it was really sad he looked quite a bit older and then mom and dad knew each other from when they were like really little so like she she was she didn't want us to know at the time but she was a few years older which was unusual back then um and so they knew each other when they were like seven and then she died only four years after him well four and a bit and I think like she had had a stroke so that's what happened but I really feel she died of a broken heart and she was only 57 wow like yeah like she just she fell apart after he died like that's the reality like they were very much each other's soulmates so and how about you and your sister my brother and sister and I have an extraordinary reliance on each other um and I'm sure you guys oh yeah do you have the telepathic twin thing do you do you know and there's been times that think like there's been lots and lots of days throughout our lives where I'm like I don't feel really good but I don't really have a reason to feel kind of and then I'll call my sister and she's not feeling good but we've had a few incidents in our life where I I was at work one time and something had happened to her and I just stood up and I was like, oh my God. And like just full on like panic attack and pre-mobile phones, I couldn't get a hold of her. So I had to, I closed where I was working. I just shut it down because I was the only person there and went home and found her like, you know, in a in a bad kind of situation. So I was like, I knew then like, so yeah, it's happened a few times, but yeah, like we're, she's incredibly amazing. She actually was able to be over here last year from October, November, December, um, with us here in our, in the house, which was great because her work, let her work from here. But now that she's gone back, yeah, no, I do really miss her. And also knowing I probably won't get back to Canada this year. So it's, it's a struggle. You have to take it day by day. You really do. Green and blacks, wildly, deliciously organic. A selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. How did you end up here? How did you arrive here? What brought you to Ireland? It's the funniest thing because whenever somebody says that, and especially during those years, like 08, 07, 08, 09, when everyone was moving to Canada, everyone's like, why are you here when everyone's going to Canada? But I never was really able to answer it until I think I thought about it maybe about a year, only a year ago, because I'm here 21 years I think part of it was losing mom and dad and kind of going, I want to go somewhere where there's no association. And then when I got here, but I was planning on coming here just for a couple of months and then go on to Glasgow for a master's, actually. Um, I got the job in Today FM and that was the other moment that defined me. 
And then I just stayed. And like every six months, I'd be like, I better extend this plane ticket until eventually it became like completely null and void. So, so tell yeah, me about like this I, job. How did, first of all, who arrives to Ireland to get the job at a radio station? How did this happen? So the moment, this is the moment. So um, Today FM used to be on Abbey Street in Dublin. It, it was Radio Ireland originally. It launched actually on St. Patrick's Day in 97. So just had an anniversary. And then when the moment that for me that changed is I was only in Ireland for maybe a couple of weeks and I went to a temp agency just to start somewhere. And I've never done any office work or anything productive at all in my life up until that point. And they said, there's a woman who's going on maternity leave in Today FM. And I'm like, okay, I don't, that sounds like it's obviously a radio station FM. And would you like to just go and meet them and you can be the the PA? So at the moment, I remember her name was Denise and she was beautiful, lovely woman. And I remember she was showing me around and it was an old hospital building in Jervis Street. And I remember going up the stairs and going and looking at all the radio studios and stuff going, this is kind of cool. And so there's definitely a click moment. So then I went on to become the PA of the then CEO for a couple of months. And I was like on his goodbye speech, he was like, goodbye to the world's worst PA, like in a funny way to me, because I really was like, he'd be like, Alison, could I get a cup of tea? And I'd be like, you have legs. And he's like, Alison, it's actually your job to get a cup of tea. I was like, I don't want to get you a cup of tea though. And he was like, oh my God. Or like, he'd he'd be like, can you type up some notes? I'm like, no, I don't want to. Is there anything else I can do? And he was just like this girl. So then he saw in me though, something that was going to potentially be useful or creative. And the breakfast show, Ian Dempsey had only been at the station from 98 so it was just under a year and he Willie O'Reilly who was then CEO obviously said maybe we'll put her there because she can't stay with me she's wrecking my head so I my very first job in radio was working on the Ian Dempsey breakfast show that's a pretty nice first job in radio to say that you know a lot of people use that phrase of learning from the best I absolutely did like to have that opportunity right off and like Ian's just so amazing and so like so humble because I walked in and I was like, I'm Alison Curtis. I'm from Canada. I did this, this and this like at 20, whatever, one, two years of age. I'm like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Ian Dempsey. I'm like, what'd you do before this? He's like, a few things <laughs> like established children's TV in Ireland. Like, <laughs> I didn't know who he was. And so I think that that worked in like, so then I went on to stay on that show for over 10 years or 10 years and produced his show. So I think that that dynamic was really good because everybody else who came into work on the show grew up with him and he had so many people coming up to kiss the ring and uh, because he was yeah so he probably exactly you know like even if people were in for like you know work experience they'd be like staring at him like this and I'm like what like so I think that that I mean obviously I grew to completely revere him and have the highest I adore him I just think he's the best at what he does of course he is but at the time I didn't know who he was (laughs) what is it about radio that you love what is it that keeps you in in radio? Radio in Ireland, I've always said, is unique. It's not like it in Canada. You don't build that kind of bond or that relationship. You can't have a national station in Canada that can get into localities the same way you can with Today FM in Ireland. And it's just, it's on the scale of in Canada. And the way they present radio is not personality driven over there. Here, it's completely personality driven. Your listeners become part of your life and you become part of theirs. And Irish people are in complete, like so generous. They let you become part of the biggest moments in their life, like their weddings and their births, everything that they go through. And people are really loyal. Like I have people that have 
tuned into me for years. And then, you know, I get a message from someone saying, um, can you say happy birthday to Leon? You said happy birthday to him when he was four. He's now 10. And it's just the loyalty is completely there in Ireland and you can have an immediate reaction to something. And that's the other thing I really love about radio. I've done TV over the years, but radio is just my absolute love because it's so immediate. You know, you can you can have re- really gorgeous moments and you can like tomorrow I'll go on air or whenever I go on air and you, you don't necessarily always know what's going to happen. And a caller could come in like we had last weekend and it was one of my favorite things I've done in radio in 20 years. Like it's just I love the power of it. It has power in Ireland and I love that. But that power comes from listeners. I think that uh, radio was the pre-social media. It's the it's the other person in the room. It's the, when you uh, look at all the generations all the way up now, like look at the love for Jerry Ryan that's still here. And my mother, literally, whenever there's a retrospective, weeps, as we all do. And it it, it just becomes part of your household, doesn't it? In a non-invasive way. Yeah, and we just celebrated and honoured Tony Fenton's anniversary last week and six years. And that's really hard to believe. And I feel I did a tribute to him and I was tearing up on air. But you know that across the country, there's thousands and thousands of people also tearing up going, God, he was their afternoon soundtrack for years and there's no one else like him. So yeah, people become really attached. So tell me now. You are at Ian Dempsey. You're, you've been working there for a long time. What happens next? Well, I went to, I left Ian's show in 2008 and I went on to do a nighttime show and then an early morning show, the early breakfast show, which I actually really, really loved. And the loyalty of listeners at 5am is pretty sturdy now. Um, but I got pregnant and then I had my daughter, Joan. And during that time, that show was made redundant. So I really, it, it was like if you look at a table with three legs and the one leg came out from underneath me with Joan because that's motherhood. And you're like, what is happening here? And then a long time. the next leg came out from underneath me was losing my show because I'd always had, I've been on radio for a long time. So that table fell pretty flat onto the ground for a couple of months. And I really was just shocked and was not 100% sure what to really do with myself and was concerned and worried. And it was a stressful time. But then I got offered a opportunity to do a Saturday morning show on Today FM. And I took it. And I was given a remit at the time that was very different to what I wanted to do with it. So I at least had enough years under my belt to be confident to go I don't want to do that I want to do this and I think this will work and that was the thing that I did do and thankfully that was the thing that worked and actually next weekend is my eight-year anniversary with that show and then a few years later the Sunday show Sunday slot became available and I guess at the time it was such a shock but it it worked out to be the best thing for me because I really found where I was strong and that is you know weekend shows you know, young family shows, making it my own. And it was the biggest audience I'd ever had because at nighttime, the audience was 20,000. In the morning, it was also 20,000. But whereas this was 140,000, like it's really a great audience. And but what really did is it really afforded me the time to have with Joan. So she was never in childcare. We never had, we had one 
childminder for about a three month period. So she was, you know, she's, I'm at her beck and call basically. So it's been amazing in that respect. So I can pick my hours across the week. I can take her to swimming when we were allowed to every Wednesday and we're not cramming it into like Saturday and Sunday, like a lot of families. So it really was a blessing in disguise. It was a shock at the time, but it turned out to be an amazing opportunity and it's turned into an amazing opportunity. So that definitely defined me. (laughs) It is funny though, how how life takes you along these these roads and this has worked out to be an amazing I mean the show is amazing and I love the talk bits on your shows I love the audience interaction on oh my god all the kids that are texting in and I when my (laughs) kids were little I actually can't believe it's eight years because I remember when you started it my kids must be really little then but um I, it was all the families up all the moms when when you've been up since five and you're so you feel like it's lunchtime <laughs> tired it's only 10 and there you are on the radio and it, it's such a welcome you're like I'm not alone and so oh thank so you really no it is it's I love it I love it love it love it like even just in a uh, little while ago I got a message from a woman who said you know a lot of birthdays now this month are in second lockdown birthdays which nobody ever anticipated so her little girl's turning nine and she's just like oh I don't know what to do for her and I was like let's get her on like she listens every weekend and we'll get her a little prezzy and I'm so like that's happening tomorrow morning at 9 30 or 8 30 I'm so looking forward to it already like that's what I mean about the power of radio like I really love it I think it's the best job ever really I do how have you changed as a person since Joan arrived has your um your your whole world complete your worldview completely changed you know, I think I've thought about that a lot. I, you know, a lot of people say when they're, when babies arrive or they become parents, they like, they learn empathy or they learn patience. I certainly have not learned patience, but um, I think really I had empathy from a very young age because of what happened to us. I think I, I think what I've learned with Joan is I've learned a love that I didn't even think was possible. Like you think, you know, you love, I love my twin sister. I love my husband. I loved my parents, but I, this love for her is like, you can't describe it. And I think what I have actually learned from her as well is to really slow down sometimes and really appreciate the moments and, you know, put the phone down, look at her, play with her, do something because she's already at that age where you can see the borderline going, I'm not going to hug you before school. And you're like, what? (laughs) You know, so it's already starting to happen. So I, I think throughout her life, I really did take moments to kind of pause and really look and play and, you know, really try and remember these moments, savor them, I guess is what I'm saying. So I've learned that from her. Um, she's amazing. She's a great little girl. And I think, yeah, she's, she's de- like lots of parents say this, but she has made me a better person for sure. Well, she's lucky because she's, you as her mom. So she's, thank you. Alison, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I really appreciate it. Not at this all. It's been a lovely chat. Thank you. Thanks to Alison Curtis, sound and editing by JJ Vernon. We'll see you next time.